So in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 12 through 18 tonight, and that's going to be uh, the main focus uh, for our talk. And uh, so we'll go ahead and and read that now together. Uh, This is what God's word says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should rejoice and be glad. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you that you came and lived the life that we were supposed to live but could not. That we thank you that you perfectly fulfilled everything that is necessary, all the requirements of God's law, so that you could offer that perfect record to us when we come to you in faith. But you didn't only do that, Jesus. You also died to pay the penalty for the times that we break your law. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you work in our hearts, that you open our hearts to believe the gospel, to trust in Christ, to treasure Jesus above all things. And so, Lord, as we open this passage together, I pray that you would open our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you to imagine for a minute that you were uh, watching, uh, watching the television and uh, you see this, this headline that says, you know, so-and-so wins the lottery, okay? Now there would be a, a kind of reaction that you would expect when you see someone who has won the lottery. Luke, what would you think that they would do if, they, if you had just found out you won the lottery? What would you do? Uh, How would you feel? Well, for, um, I not what about, would you buy. How would you feel? What would you do? I would probably be very happy. Okay. Would you jump up and down? <laughs> would you jump up and down? Maybe a little bit. Probably You'd be pretty excited. Bit. Yeah. I yeah. I wonder how I got a lottery ticket first, but yeah. <laughs> Given the fact that you're too young, yeah, that uh, <laughs> analogy breaks down a little bit. But uh, but it, but imagine you are watching on the news, and this this individual, they, they you see the headline that they've just won the lottery. But rather than, uh, rather than jumping up and down and having a big smile on their face, rather they look sad and somber. And, you, and the, the, news, the news reporter asked them, 
how are you feeling right now? Are you, you know, how, are you, are you over, overjoyed that you have you know, won the lottery? Not that news reporters use the phrase overjoyed. Uh, but uh, you know, how are you feeling? And uh, imagine a person wh- who is this sad, somber individual, and they say, it's okay, I guess. You know. That would be an odd reaction, right? That, that it would not be normal for that kind of news. Okay? And I share that because Paul, in this section, is talking about the normal response that us as Christians, that these Philippians as Christians should have to the example of Christ, to the humble obedience of Jesus on our behalf and his substitutionary death to pay the penalty for our sins. He's talking about the normal response that we should have, which is that we should obey Jesus. Not because uh, we uh, want to make him love us more, but we see his example of humble obedience in the gospel to the will of the Father perfectly fulfilling the righteousness that is required for us to have a relationship with God and then continuing to be obedient as it says in verse uh, 8 of chapter 2. If you look up there, it says, "In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So in this passage, Paul begins with the word, therefore, and so when you see the word therefore in scripture, what's the question that you ask? What is it there? What's it there for, right? So therefore, what's it there for? Well, it is intending to draw your attention back to verses 5 through 11, which is all, it's actually, it's a, a hymn, most likely uh, one of the earliest hymns in the Christian church. It's called the Christ Hymn. And it, it talks about the humility of Jesus, right? We talked about this this last week, that the example of Christ in that he was so humble that he was willing to lay aside his crown and become a servant to the Father's love, and he descended from the throne above. And so in this passage, what we are seeing is Paul is saying, okay, in, as you look at the example of Jesus, that he was willing to do uh, these things, that he was willing to be this humble, this obedient to the will of the Father because he loved you that much. Okay, that part's important, because he loved you that much. In response to that great love of Christ, you too should follow his example. And so the main theme of what we are looking at in this section is this, is that since Jesus has displayed humble obedience, then it is our right response to follow in his footsteps. Okay, so that's the main theme of this passage that I want you to take away. Since Jesus has displayed humble obedience, then our right response to his example is to follow in his footsteps, okay? And so if obedience is, the, is one of the main themes of this passage and our response is one of obedience, then the question that we should ask is, what does this passage teach us about obedience, 
Okay, what does it teach us about obedience? In this passage of scripture, we're going to look at three things that this passage shows us about obedience in the Christian life. Three things, okay? They all begin with C, okay? So, first, we're going to look at the call to obedience, okay? That's verse 12, the call to obedience. Next, in verses 13 through 15, and then a little bit of 18, we're going to look at the characteristics of obedience. So the call to obedience, the characteristics of obedience, and lastly, we are going to look at the catalyst of obedience. The catalyst of obedience. Okay. First, let's talk about that, that first one, the call to obedience. Look, at, look with me at verse 12 for just a minute. So he says, therefore, my beloved, okay, which in and, in and of itself is telling you that Paul, he's not, he's not beating them over the head here saying, obey, obey, obey. But rather he's saying, my beloved, my people whom I love, as you have always obeyed. In other words, it's, it's been your pattern. Like this is, this is who you are. You are people who obey Christ. But now this obedience, I want it to continue regardless of whether or not I come back to you. Okay? So he gives this call to obedience. And so Paul, is, he's, he's talking to the Philippians and he's saying this is how they ought to respond to the example of Christ that he has just taught them a few verses prior, okay? And so their response is, is one of imitation, they imitate the example of Jesus. Paul wants them to follow in the footsteps of Christ, regardless of whether or not Paul comes back to them. Okay, pop quiz time. Where is Paul when he wrote this letter? Prison, Prison okay. Uh, and we, uh, we know that there was a very real possibility that he could have been executed at this point. So he's in prison. He, he himself doesn't know whether or not he's actually going to survive. And so he's trying to prepare these Christians for the reality of following Jesus without him in the picture, okay? And so he's, he's telling them, he says, in my absence, whether that means absence in, in prison or a permanent absence if he winds up executed for preaching Christ, follow Jesus, Look at his example, and just as he humbly obeyed the will of the Father, so also you ought to humbly obey the will of God the Father. Uh, if, you, if you would imagine for a moment uh, that Luke was on a missions trip with me and a few other people, uh, is it, I'm going to pick on you, Okay. <laughs> Uh, imagine and that it, imagine that it was over spring break, maybe a year ago. Um, <laughs> just imagine it. Doesn't it may or may not be real. <laughs> now imagine that uh, in my presence, Luke is gathering up brush and, and he's 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 helping clear this this uh, this uh, whole area that had been damaged by the fire. But then in my absence. Luke is running around grabbing lizards and chasing them and trying to pick them up because <laughs> there's lizards in this area, hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically speaking, of course. <laughs> now, 
his, his, his obedience, is he, uh, so he's obeying when I'm present, right? But when I'm, when I'm absent, if he doesn't continue in the, the command, right? Pick up the sticks. Uh, then, then he's disobedient, right? And so what we're, what we're hoping for is a continuity of obedience, right? A continuity of obedience, uh, I said, I wrote distracted by lizards, I think is what I said. <laughs> it was bigger. It was good. Um, I'll tell you after. I'll tell you in small group. Uh, okay. So similarly, Paul, he's preparing, like I said, he's preparing these Christians for the reality that he is not always going to be there to tell them exactly the 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 minute details of what it looks like to follow Jesus in every single situation. He's not going to be, uh, be there to be helicopter mom, uh, ensuring that they do all things obediently at all times. Okay. He's saying it's at, at a certain point, you've got to learn how to grow up and follow the example of Jesus, uh, with the help of God. Okay. Um, I think that is actually really helpful for us because you guys are in a unique stage of life right now where you are in a home, most, most of you, not, maybe not all of you, but a lot of you are in a home where you are under the authority of Christian parents who are telling you what it looks like to obey God and by extension obey the, their authority as uh, the, the authority figure that God has placed over you. But think forward in four, maybe five years, or maybe a year from now, and you're away at college, you don't have that authority figure over you anymore. So you have to learn what it looks like to follow Jesus apart from that, that supervision that you had when you were in high school. So whether your mom or dad is present or absent, you need to know what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so, when you think about your life, here's, here's, here's what I want you to ask yourself this week, and maybe even right now as you're sitting here. When you think about your life and you think about uh, the times when you, uh, when you do actually obey God, are you doing it because you want to? Or are you doing it because you're supposed to? Are you doing it because you want to? Or are you doing it because it's what's expected of you? And there's a difference because obedience that doesn't come from the heart is not real obedience. Obedience that doesn't come from the heart is just disobedience in disguise. So do you obey God because... I'm encouraging you to obey God? Or do you obey God because you love Jesus more than anything in this world? Because you find Jesus in him more than anything else and you want to obey him. You want to follow him. And a good litmus test is this, is when you are all alone, other than God in the room, because he is always watching, as I said earlier before we left for the corn maze, (laughs) When you are all alone, is the knowledge that God is with you in that moment enough to restrain 
your sinful temptations? Is the knowledge that God uh, is the one that you are ultimately accountable to, not mom or dad, but that we're accountable to God, is that the thought that crosses your mind? Or in those moments when no one else is around, seemingly, do you choose not to obey God? Because the moments that are the private moments are who you really are. Your public obedience can be just a show. I'm, I'm living proof of that. I lived my whole life in the church. Many people from the outside looking in would have thought that I had a relationship with Christ because I put on a big show. And it wasn't until I was much older that the Lord actually got a hold of my heart, actually gave me a desire to follow Jesus, actually gave me a love for Jesus. So when you think about, when you hear me say, God desires that you obey him, is that something that you really want or not? Okay, so Paul gives a call to obedience, okay? Then he goes on and he describes the characteristics of obedience here, which is really, which is really interesting. Um, look at verse 13 there. He says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay? And then in verse 14, he gives some more description of what it, looks like, what it should look like to obey God. When you obey, do it without grumbling or disputing. Ouch, who hasn't uh, grumbled or complained uh, when they're in the midst of obeying at some point. Um, So do it without grumbling or complaining. And then verse 18, do it with joy. Okay, so these are some of the characteristics that uh, should um, accompany our obedience. Okay, the first is that uh, our obedience, genuine obedience, we can't take credit for it. It's actually God at work in our hearts, okay? So this, this we get from verse 13 where it says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what's really interesting is if you actually back up to verse 12, when he says, work out your own salvation, it's that, that verb there is in what's called the passive tense, meaning that God is the one who actually puts it within your heart, gives you the desire and the ability to obey. Does that make sense? Okay, so God is the one who actually changes our hearts and gives us a new uh, desire, a new will to follow Christ, to lay aside sin, to turn from sin, and to seek Jesus. So obedience is first enabled by God. You can obey, not perfectly, but you can obey because of God's work in your heart, okay? And the second thing that we notice is that obedience is to be gladly offered to God, not offered with a critical or argumentative spirit, but rather with joy, 
You see, Paul wants to see these Christians joyfully seeking to obey God, knowing that God will supply what they need in the call to obey. And these are important characteristics to note when it comes to obedience. Um, because it's how you know the difference between uh, genuine obedience that comes from the heart and merely uh, obedience that might be pressure coming from without, whether that's, you know, maybe you feel an obligation uh, to obey in a certain church setting or you feel an obligation to uh, present yourself a certain way in front of your mom or dad. But... Obedience is something that has to come from the heart. And one of the ways that you can tell that your obedience is coming from the heart is because you find joy in doing what Jesus says. You delight in doing the will of Jesus. And so these are some characteristics of obedience. If you, uh, if you think about Think about your best friend for a minute, whoever that might be. And then if you were able to, <laughs> don't say it out loud, um, but, uh, but think about your best friend for a moment. And then, and then if you were asked, okay, describe that person, what, what would you do? You begin naming some characteristics. Like for me, I would say that my best friend has brown hair, <laughs> blue eyes, uh, she has a master's degree, and she usually has a baby on her hip, you know. She does have a master's degree. Uh, counseling. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, so these are characteristics that describe Lindsay, right? And in a similar way, what Paul is doing here in this section is he's saying these things should be what characterize your obedience. Your obedience should come from God. God doing a work in your heart, giving you a desire to know, love, and follow Jesus. And this obedience should be done without whining, without complaining, without disputing. Now, I said a couple weeks ago, I can't remember if I said it to you or to the middle schoolers, um, when Paul is, says, do things without grumbling or disputing, this is like hearing one side of the phone conversation. And so when he says, do things without grumbling or disputing, guess what? That means that there was grumbling and disputing that was happening in the church. And he's saying, don't do that. Because that is not the kind of obedience that honors God. Do it joyfully. Verse 18. So my question for you as you're thinking through this idea that God is the one who enables us to obey and uh, that obedience is supposed to be gladly offered to God, as you're thinking about these truths, my question for you is, is this, is that when you manage to get it right, what, let's say you do resist the temptation. Let's say you feel a temptation to gossip about somebody, and instead you hold your tongue and you don't say anything, right? You resist the temptation. In that moment, who do you give the glory to? Do you say, 
God, thank you for giving me that desire to restrain the, to, to restrain the wickedness of my own heart. God, thank you for doing that in me. Or do you just think, wow, I did a good job. Yay me, right? The, and that, so that really does, that does tell you something. Who you give the credit to in that moment tells you whether or not that obedience is something that is coming from the Lord or if it's just uh, the result of maybe an external pressure. Does that make sense to you guys? So do you, cre- do you give credit to God when you actually manage to get it right? Or does your obedience puff up your pride? And second follow-up question for you to, to take home with you and to think about, so do you give credit to the Lord? And do you also, when you think about all of the things that God asks of you, um, humbly loving and serving others, uh, giving up your whole life to Christ, saying, God, do what you will with my life. When you think about the commands of God, do they weigh you down? Or does it give you joy? Do you find joy in the calling to obey? So these are some of the characteristics of obedience, okay? So lastly, we're going to talk about the catalyst of obedience, okay? Uh, Catalyst of obedience here. Let's look at verse 16 for just a minute here. So we'll back up to verse 15. He says, uh, in verse 14, grumbling and disputing, don't do that. And the reason that you shouldn't do that is because you'll be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And so Paul here uh, towards the end of this passage, he's telling the Philippians to hold on to the word of God. Hold on to the word of God, okay? And by holding on to the word of God, they will be pushed to greater levels of obedience. And this is because the word of God reveals three things, Okay? So hold fast to the word of God because the word of God teaches us how to obey. Okay, so the word of God shows us three things. It shows us our disobedience. So the word of God shows us where we fall short. Okay, the word of God also reveals to us Jesus's perfect obedience. And it also reveals how you and I can and should obey God. So the word of God reveals our own disobedience, reveals Christ's perfect obedience, and it reveals the ways in which we should obey God. This is why the word of God is so important, because it, it is a, a catalyst. It is a, uh, the ignition of our uh, obedience, because it is in the word that we learn uh, that we fall short, that we, that we need a Savior, right? But it, it, not only that, it, it also reveals the fact that our Savior 
perfectly obeyed because he knew that you and I could not. And it also reveals that Jesus paid the penalty for our disobedience. And the word also reveals that now, because Christ has paid the penalty for our sins, because he has died and risen again, because he has ascended to heaven, he has also sent the Holy Spirit to indwell each person in the church. And because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, now you can obey God. You have that capacity now. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed, as Jesus says. And so when you take these truths to heart, the, when you take the scriptures to heart, it is a transformative thing. Someone once said that the word of God in the hands of the spirit of God transforms the people of God. The word of God in the hands of the Spirit of God, transforms the people of God. And I've actually, like, I can speak from experience here. I've actually seen this happen many times in my life where, the, where Scripture has actually been a catalyst for obedience. I've shared this, this story before, but there, uh, has, there was an, an ins, instance in my life several years back where uh, a friend of mine had really, really hurt me deeply, um, and it was a, a friend that I that I trusted, and um, so there was a period of time where I didn't I didn't speak to this person, and uh, the Lord uh, confronted me with this verse uh, that says this just this little phrase where it says uh, that you must forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And in that moment, I realized I have not forgiven this person as God in Christ has forgiven me. In fact, I hadn't forgiven this person at all. And so the word was a catalyst for change. And after a couple weeks of more rebellion, um, after a couple more weeks of rebellion, I reached out to this person and we reconciled. Obedience in response to the word. The word reveals our disobedience, reveals the perfect obedience of Christ, and it also tells us how we ought to obey. And so similarly, Paul wants these Christians to hold on to and give consideration to the word of God because the word of God does the work of God in our hearts. The word of God does the work of God in our hearts. And so my question for us is when you are reading God's word, I say when because that is yet another expectation that's part of the whole obedience thing, you know, reading God's word. Uh, when you read the word of God, do you come to it with a desire to be changed by it? Or are you just reading it to check the box? We talked about obedience and how there's a difference between doing something because of external pressures, whether that's mom and dad or youth group or whatever it is, 
and that's one form uh, uh, fake obedience. That's what that is. Real obedience is because you desire it. You want to obey. So when you read scripture, are you coming to it because you desire to be changed by it? Or are you just reading it to check the box? To say, I did what I was supposed to do, um, and, and that's it. We have to let the word of God become a catalyst for change in our lives. We must hold tightly to it and fix our attention upon it. I intentionally use that phrase, fix your attention, because the phrase, hold fast, can also be translated that way. So in other words, focus on the word. Focus on the word of God. Fix your mind on the word of God and on the Christ that the word presents to us. Because when you behold Jesus, you cannot help but be changed by him. So as we close, I I, I wanna draw our attention back to that initial illustration We don't want to be like the person who won the lottery and uh, is depressed and gloomy and have an inappropriate uh, response to the gospel. The gospel is the best news that you've ever heard. You, before the work of God in your heart, were a sinner, dead in trespasses and sins, cut off, alienated from God, destined for destruction. That's, that was your situation before you committed your life to Christ. But in God's mercy and in his grace, he sent his Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, to create new life, to give you a new desire to know, love, and follow Jesus. But not only that, He now promises that you will spend eternity with the Jesus whom you now love in ever-increasing joy and happiness. I know I say this verse all the time, but it's one of my favorites. Psalm 1611, in his presence, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That's the best news that you could ever hear is that we get to be with Jesus forever. It is a sad, it's a sad thing. Honestly, this is something that the Lord's been convicting me about the last couple of days. It is a sad thing when our emotions don't show that we actually really believe the gospel because joy is the sign the gospel has actually come home to live in our hearts. Joy is the sign that we really believe the gospel. And that's what we've been seeing in this letter to the Philippians. Paul is a man who is rejoicing in Jesus. And so, to sum up here, because 
Christ displayed humble obedience to the will of the Father in that he died to pay the penalty for our sins, that he rose again, sent his Holy Spirit to live in us. Now we can respond to the loving, humble obedience of Jesus and follow in his footsteps. And so it's when you really understand the love of Christ that he has for you. That's when you really are willing to give yourself completely to him. Completely and joyfully to him. And so I pray that this would be increasingly true of all of us. Let's pray.